You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. And my name is Daniel Janine. I'm a producer at Eater. Amanda, this week we're taking it down to the 305 to Miami. One of the most explosive stories, mm. I would say. In honor of um, spring break, yes, we're going to Miami. Here we are. Um, well, we're not going because the hotels are expensive, but we're sitting in New York talking about it. <laughs> That's right. Calling in some friends who are actually on the ground in Miami to hear about what's been going on during the pandemic, to hear about all the big restaurant openings down there how spring break has been, and what it's like to operate in Miami versus New York. So we're going to talk to Ollie Fowler, the editor of Eater Miami, about kind of more like the news side, what's been opening, how the city scene has been affected. And then we are going to talk to Simon Kim, the owner and operator of Coat Korean Steakhouse, which just opened in Miami during uh, the pandemic and also has, of course, a, a very popular restaurant in New York to hear what it's like in the different spaces, you know, having a, having going from somewhere that is, I would say, COVID conservative to somewhere that is COVID not conservative. Mm -hmm. COVID lax. COVID lax. Exactly. And then, and then we'll talk about some fun stuff. Then we'll round it out with some, some news stories. Not that those things won't be fun. All right. Let's get into it. Here is Ollie. All right. So next up on the show, we wanted to bring on our Miami editor, Ollie Fowler, to talk about what's been going on down in Miami, because it has been pretty active throughout this pandemic, but especially now in the winter and as we get into spring. So, Ollie, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Uh, so first up, there have been a ton of restaurant openings uh, and a lot of big imports from New York and also from Texas. Uchi from Texas opened there. Carbone from New York. Coat. Uh, yep. I don't know. What, what are some of the other ones? Uh, Red Rooster, Salt and Straw. Um, the Freehold just opened location down here. Uh, Pastis just announced a location down here. And that's all within the past, I'd say, two or three months. So you guys are no stranger to having big name imports, but what is what seems to be happening right now? I think I'm, I, there's a lot of different factors. I think a few of those restaurants that we name, particularly like Code, um, Red Rooster, they had been in the works, honestly, for years at this point. Um, and they were delayed because of COVID and everything being shut down for several months. Um, you know, and traditionally for people that aren't familiar with the Miami market, our high season down here when we have not only locals, but a ton of people from other markets, especially New York and, and other cold city mm -hmm. uh, places, um, is from about November to like Easter. Uh, so that's when restaurants traditionally open, like big name restaurants traditionally try to open during that time because there's the largest amount of people in Miami. Um, I think, so in September, late September, our governor, Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, basically reopened the state mm -hmm. um, and didn't give many people much warning. Uh, prior to that, Florida had looser restrictions than most of the country, but Miami-Dade, Broward, and uh, Palm Beach counties kind of were able to make their own rules and regulations because we had such high COVID numbers. And then in September, end of September, DeSantis said, no, no county can like... Um, overrule Florida. Everyone's got to open at least 50%. You got to open wow. your bars. You got to open your nightclubs, all that stuff. So I think that happening, you know, going into the winter months where it's already a popular time to come down, people were looking, there was a lot of, you know, restaurants, beautiful restaurants available for rent, a lot mm -hmm. of top culinary talent looking for jobs. 
Um, there was a lot of rules and regulations in cities like New York and cities in northeastern cities. And I think a lot of these people are like, hey, we don't want to deal with this anymore. It's low, you know, low regulations in Florida. It's, you know, beautiful weather. Everyone can sit on a patio all year round and um, lower rent in comparison to other major markets and an uh, influx of people down there that are kind of um, enjoying the outdoors and enjoying, you know, what Florida has to offer. So it's kind of a combination of pent up openings that would have happened maybe over yes. the last year or so yes, and that absolutely. were delayed due to the pandemic plus mm-hmm. an plus. opportune <laughs> moment uh, relative to other areas where you have yeah. cheaper rents, less regulation, party, yeah. party city. Yeah. And the demand is there, you know, and a bunch of people are vacationing in Florida because it's one of the few places that things are open, you know, and beaches, people can go to the beach in January and <laughs> all those fun things that Florida is famously known for. And tell us what's been happening over the spring break weeks. Um, it has become a bit of a mess on Miami Beach. Uh, Miami is a large city, so South Beach is just a small portion of um, the area. But basically, there was just an influx of spring breakers this year, again, because we are one of the few cities that are really open. So college kids, pent-up college kids who have been sitting in their dorms for a year wanted somewhere to go. And <laughs> they all seem to come to South Beach, unfortunately. And things just got really out of hand. Um, You know, a lot of restaurants right on like the main Collins Ocean Drive corridor, like in the heart of South Beach. And really, it is a heavily touristy area. Um, They got, you know, vandalized, overrun. There was just huge crowds of people. Um, And then about, I believe, a week and a half ago, the, the local government stepped in and enforced an 8 p.m. curfew. Um, you're not allowed on and off Miami Beach if you're not a resident or staying at a hotel uh, between Thursday and Sunday evenings after 8 p.m. Um, they basically have shut down the causeways to even go on and off South Beach. They just don't want the people there. Restaurants are forced to close. Uh, they're allowed to do delivery, I believe, till midnight, but they have to shut down at 8 p.m. every night, um, you know, and it's going to be in effect till April 12th or 14th, one of one of those days. Yeah. Right. But for all intents, uh, per, whatever, I'm not using that expression because I actually don't know how to say it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my Miami's kind of the spot right now. So amongst the the media community, people that cover these things, is, is the consensus that like, obviously the attention of America's kind of hotspot right now is Miami and, and to a lesser extent, I would say, Austin, uh, Miami is one giant bar mitzvah right now. It's very exciting. Um, but like, is, is, do people think that this is like a moment where Miami blossoms into, you know, a greater or or a more important city in the cultural context of like the U S major cities? Or do people think is the idea that you, that there's like a spike right now because it's a, a let loose haven. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two camps. I think there are, or is a camp that thinks like Miami, you know, there's been a lot of push by like local governments to bring in businesses down here that are looking to relocate. Um, that type of thing. I think there is a camp that does believe this is like Miami's Renaissance and we're mm-hmm. really going to keep um, booming. Uh, and then I think there's another camp and I, kind of personally fall into the other camp where it's like, I think when other cities start reopening again and there's more shots in arms, just nationwide, I think things will level out. Also, it will be a timing thing because I'm not sure if any of you have been to Miami in July or August, but it's (laughs) not particularly pleasant down here. Um, And, you know, and I think patios will be open and and the Northeast and all those things that are, it's, I can't imagine it being comfortable dining outdoors in the Northeast right now. Like I just, but it's beautiful. It's 75 degrees mm-hmm. down here. Um, so I, 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 I personally think things are going to level out a bit. I, Miami's very seasonal and I'm, I'm from here. I see it every year. I think this is just like almost our season on right. steroids. If right. you will. Um, that's my personal thoughts. I think, you know, we'll have to wait a, a couple months to even a year or two to really see how things wash out. Right. And if, um, if, this boom is kind of here to stay. And what are conversations like amongst people that are kind of more apprehensive towards a boom like this? Or people who are like, I don't want all like Tesla and all these businesses coming in. I don't want these new restaurants. Is that, you know, are, are, are those conversations happening? Um, some people are certainly apprehensive. You know, it's like, wow, there's so many New Yorkers in Miami mm-hmm. right now. And I was like, well, guys, there's a, like 
There's always New Yorkers There's in Miami. Always, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's <laughs> just new that ones. Is nothing that is, um, you know, and, and they're like, oh, we, I, I hear it a little bit in the restaurant community too, because there has been such an influx of, you know, big name restaurants coming from other markets coming down to Miami. But, you know, on the flip side of that, there's a lot of kind of local homegrown talent that is, I think, thriving right now too, and opening up second, third, fourth yeah. restaurants, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it's not only like the big names out of New York city or, or Austin or anything like that. I think a lot of like local guys are, are doing well and, and, you know, taking this opportunity to really show off their talents. So, and have the, have the hospitality workers just had a generally easier time of it there? Like you, you talk to them, you hear from them because they've been able to make a living or has it been just super fraught because of. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because every, almost every restaurant owner I talk to right now is having a hard time staffing. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. Because there's just not, I think, a lot of people, a lot of workers are still apprehensive about working in a restaurant, you know, like you're still, you're coming into contact with, if you're working in a high volume restaurant, hundreds of people a day that don't have a mask on, even if you do, um, you know, and then traditionally kind of low wages. And now with the extended um, unemployment insurance, you know, some people are just wanting, choosing to do that and opting to choose that versus putting themselves in harm's, harm's way. I'm, I'm curious how that's going to flesh out too now with more people getting vaccinated and things opening up. Florida didn't prioritize restaurant workers down here in kind of the first wave. Um, and I think that was a detriment to the restaurant industry. Because mm. um, every time, every restaurant I talk to, they're like, we're short like mm. nine or 10 people. Yeah. Like, uh, like Carbone, for instance, brought in almost like their whole New York staff to staff the the Miami one down here because they were having a tough time. And also they're like, well, we don't have much work for them up in New York right now. So we bring, bring them down to Florida. Yeah. Then I don't know what they're going to do when um, they fully reopen in New York because exactly. it's so expensive here and everyone here, everywhere mm-hmm. I look, it's just help wanted sides, help wanted sides, everyone on Instagram, they just need help. So it's the nationwide issue. Yeah. And I think a lot of people like, pivoted careers, honestly, when, you know, the shutdown happened, everyone's furloughed, they're sitting at home like, oh, do I really want to be like working in the restaurant industry? Do I really want to continue this career path? I think a lot of people had a real, you know, coming to Jesus moment, if you will, about their careers in this world um, when everything first hit and if they wanted to return to it when everything was set and yeah. done. Right. We, we might have lost a generation of restaurant yeah. workers. Yeah, for sure. Trap. Uh, one last question, I guess. Tra- Traffic-wise, from the you know the eater eater website perspective, uh, how hard do articles crush when you're dropping news that like some you know pastis is opening in Miami or coat is opening? I mean, that was a while ago, but like, what's yeah. you know what's the appetite for for those kinds of stories? Um, I think those stories do just as well as stories of local talent like yeah oh interesting okay. talent down here um yeah because again we i think there's plenty of people that are familiar with like the new york food scene or the you know, the austin food scene or what have you um and then there's a, a lot of people mm-hmm. that aren't you know like mm-hmm. a lot, <laughs> but they are familiar with like the Giorgio rapicavolis of the world who's had a very successful restaurant down here and has made a bunch of food network appearances and he just opened a new italian spot so i think that gets a, just as much traction because he's a local talent local celebrity that people um are familiar with same you know there's been a lot of guys like jose mendine who owns pub belly and is kind of really rocketed success with all his pub yeah. belly um, mm-hmm. restaurants just opened another Italian concept and that, you know, does well as because people are familiar with him. So I think there's kind of two camps, people that might know more of like the United States, uh, culinary scene as a whole. And then people that are a little more hyper. Dan, I will tell you, uh, regarding your traffic question that our highest traffic post on eater in March was the guide to the 38 best open restaurants in Las Vegas. And Las Vegas is another, you know, very open town right now. And I think it, it shows that there is just a lot of interest in going to places like Miami, like Vegas yep. and getting out there. Wait, yep. really? And, and no one really, yeah, no one really down here is concerned about takeout anymore. It's just not even, 
Yeah. Right. They're just going out. They're just going out. They're going out. How crazy did hotel prices get like at the at peak Miami COVID? Oh, wild. Like I know I was talking to someone. There's four seasons down here um, in Surfside. So that's actually not that's a relatively residential area down here. It's not super packed with tourists. And they were going rooms are going fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars a night for a basic room. Oh, my God. And (laughs) And the hotels were selling out. Yeah. <laughs> so there's the demand for it. Oh my um, god. Yeah. I, I'm I wouldn't be surprised if rooms right now this weekend on Miami Beach are going for six, seven hundred dollars a night. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Fun. So yeah, it's crazy. It's I mean world. it is it is a different world and it's it's been kind of a weird thing because it's like I, I I personally think we reopened way too soon but then you also see like you know I have so many friends and and, and people that I'm close to in the restaurant world and to see them go through the year that they've gone through and like everything just crumble around them like you you know they're so excited to have business back even right. if their health might be at risk and they're so excited to have work and so it's a really it's a double-sided sword yeah that's what makes this all so hard yeah, exactly. Well, you know, in a vacuum, we can be excited. It's boom time for Miami, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Come on down. <laughs> shots down shots there. are getting in arms. We're getting there. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving us a lay of the land in Thank Miami. Me, guys. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Up next on the show, we have Simon Kim, the owner of Coat New York and the newly opened Coat Miami. Uh, very fun, very exciting steakhouse, Korean steakhouse. Uh, Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Daniel. So first up, obviously, you know, paid off, paid off huge. But Miami was kind of a, for me at least, a surprising choice for your second city. How did how did Coat Miami come to be? Uh, 2017, we opened Coat, and Coat has been just immensely successful, and it's basically, literally. You know, dreams do come true is how I thought, right? And and it's like American dream. And when you know, way before pandemic, we, when we was we were looking at an opportunity to expand. So where are we gonna go, right? So coach successful in New York, we kind of hit it out of the park. So what's next? So obviously, L.A., Los Angeles. There's a L.A. has the second largest population, you know, uh, other than Korea, right? So L.A. was obviously a a place that we studied. And then I also looked at Washington, D.C. on the east side and Chicago as well. And one of my partners um, said, uh, recommended, how about you study also Miami? And so I came to Miami. Mm-hmm. First of all, it was so painless, right? Like you go from New York to Miami, three hours. It's almost like door to door, like going to the Hamptons, you know, in terms of time. It, except that you're in tropical <laughs> weather and... Uh, yeah, I just fell in love with the city and the people, you know. I think um, especially as an Asian person, Asian-American, Miami, there really isn't any Asian-American culture there, you know. So I think a lot of people have that kind of like, oh, you know, Miami is not necessarily for, you know, to open up an Asian steakhouse is not necessarily, Miami is not the first place that people may think of. There was something happening, you know, forget about coat for a second. Uh, Miami food scene was, uh, there's a big supply and demand, uh, you know, there was not enough, there's definitely a lot of um, demand, but there was not enough supply. So there was a lot of exciting thing that was happening. So I saw that I wanted to be part of that kind of, um, you know, Miami mm-hmm. dining scene 2.0 and I wanted to be part of that. Okay. So then, you know, you guys are building, you guys broke ground before COVID and then COVID hits, and I remember talking to you at some mm-hmm. point, and you, I mean, you, you're not someone that gets down, but you were pretty down, and, you know, you were like, there's no money, there's, this COVID's really hurting, and then the tides turned, Miami kind of opens up, you kind of open up at the same time, and then it's just like an explosion, right? So this bet you made on a city before knowing what was going to happen yeah. Uh, comes back even maybe bigger than you expected, right? Yes, I, uh, your we, our first podcast, right? It was about kind of kind of <laughs> kind of um, slot machines and a hitting it big sort of a thing. <laughs> back in May, because so I signed our contract about two years ago. So way back when, right? I signed mm-hmm. the lease, and 
and pandemic. Uh, so we're working on drawings, you know, the floor plans, the flows, you know, how we're going to do that. That took a lot of time, right? Because we were building a, a brand mm-hmm. new restaurant. So we spent a ton of time doing that. And then the pandemic happened. Right. And kind of my style is when I raise capital, I raise kind of like 75% of capital and I start the construction. And then I like, as we get closer, I um, invite some of the local uh, power players in. You know, I think that's kind of like how I play the game in terms of... You wait till they have something they can see. Exactly. I mean, I I de-risk the project as much as I can and then basically welcome some, you know, power players who wants to just be part of this, you know. So... So I had 25% uh, capital additionally to be raised, and pandemic happened. Daniel, how do you raise right. capital in the middle of pandemic? All restaurants are shut down. My restaurants in New York City, indoor dining was shut down. So Yeah, sell hand sanitizer. Exactly. I mean, how am I supposed to go to an investor and say, hey, listen, like I'm going to open up a restaurant in like six months, and are you in for it? And I think that was the biggest challenge. So what happened? I, I stuck with it, you know, I stuck with it and my and investors uh, showed up and, you know, and also we showed resiliency, right? A code, New York City, we did, you know, we literally did everything that we can. You know, we did, um, you know, delivery, takeouts, cocktails to go, wines to go, butcher shop. And we also had a partner with Goldbelly that uh, steak mail orders as well, butcher's fees. So I feel like all, all those really helped, right? They, you know, the investors all kind of saw that this guy is not a guy... That's not going to get beaten up by COVID. So we thought that one thing led to another and it came to a positive place and we secured all the funding. We actually had an opportunity to stop the project and basically walk away and, and lick our wounds, right? Like, you know, too bad. Because back in May 2020, it was really, really bad. You know, things were really bad. Miami got hit really, really bad. New York got hit really, really bad. So we had an opportunity to pull out, but... Something told me that, you know, this is going to be over, right? And we are going to be coming back. And we already had a beautiful restaurant designed already. And I had a very big opti- mm-hmm. optimism. But obviously, I had no idea that Miami would be the first city to open uh, post-pandemic. At what point did you realize that it was going to be a success? I mean, so... There was a, obviously delays and whatnot. So we started construction May and we're supposed to finish by end of the year. But, you know, things got pushed back and our landlord, we all worked together. So we opened our door on the 12th of February. And honestly, as you mentioned, like Miami was on fire, right? Like Miami <laughs> was on fire. And like, and I don't take COVID lightly, you know, there's nothing really, you know, but but let's, you know, but there at that time, right, like February, it's been literally 11, I mean, 11 months since uh, COVID really kind of took place. So I had COVID and many people already had COVID too, right? Like not that you can't get second infection. I feel like Miami, I think Miami did a pretty good job, you know, in terms of, um, you know, it was very pro-business and customer had an option to basically to come in or not come in. And you know, Code never closed. Code New York City never closed. So we really had a very good understanding of how to properly use PPE, how to function and how to actually hire, train and, and sustain business and operate business in COVID environment. And I feel like all those tricks, you know, including basically staggering in time for our employees, right? Because you don't want to... Uh, have a crowded environment. So all, all those small tricks uh, from hand sanitizer to, you know, health questionnaires, all those things kind of added to our comfort level. And, you know, of course, we put plexiglasses along with um, our individual grill that basically uh, excretes all the internal air, indoor air to outside. And and I and top of that, I invested half a million dollars in you know, Paragon <laughs> Doaz, a dedicated outdoor air system, which basically consistently brings in a chilled and treated and filtered outdoor air consistently. So think of Code Miami as a, if it's a car, it's got the best air intake and bare best exhaust, making it the uh, fantastic. Yeah. So then what? OK, so like give me your the first night you walked in, it was uh, like sold out. Right. I mean, you just. What 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 has it been like in terms of the demand for the experience now that you are open? Honestly, if I wanted more business, 
God would strike me. You know, um, we've been fools ever since. You know, obviously for, in the beginning we had to be, you know, controlling our books because we wanted to provide the best service as we train. Mm -hmm. So that was tight. So we were at capacity from the beginning, and then um, one thing led to the other. Since then, we've been just book solid every single day. So back when when my when New York was fairly locked down and you had a good outdoor setup, but what was it like at the same time? obsessing over New York's ever-changing regulations while in Miami was just like a free-for-all? Honestly, Daniel, it's like basically having one foot in a piping hot water and having another foot on a, like, ice block, right? Like, almost like a, <laughs> a liquid nitrogen, if you will. It's like, what is going on here, right? Because we're in the same country, we're three hours away, and I'm constantly traveling back and forth, and one... <laughs> and one state is completely closed. The other state is completely open, and you know, it was a it was a complete mind bend, you know, to have completely shut down restaurant in New York, and the numbers are actually better than Miami. And then I come to Miami, numbers are actually worse, and people are raging indoor. You know, forget about twenty five percent or fifty percent, bro, hundred mm -hmm. percent, like full steam ahead, and. So there was a lot of, um, you know, mind bend to say the least. It's it's tough. You don't know. Yeah, you don't know which way is up. Correct. Because I mean, we don't. We I don't. I also didn't want to just completely, you know, be reckless. Um, because right. the the restriction the government government allowed me to be reckless does not make me be reckless, right? Because I need to make a. a I, right. you know, I I think critically, and I, and I use common sense, and I try to, you know take everything that I learned, all the experiences that taught me about COVID. So we kind of uh, applied that, you know? So it's... Uh, right, the Miami restaurants probably think you're overly conservative. Exactly. And I think uh, I think that's a good position to be in, right? And personally, you know, maybe New York people, you know, may think that we're a little too liberal, maybe, because we like to actually <laughs> have fun. But there's nothing really liberal about it, you know, if you if you really take a look, right? We have a great ventilation system, and we are, we take PPE procedure very, very seriously. And again, we've been open the entire time, and we never had a, a, a significant outbreak in restaurant at all, you know? So I feel mm -hmm. like um, the proof is in the pudding. And, you know, so... There was a lot of uh, mind leveling to do because obviously following government guideline at two radically different state was not something that was feasible to do. So I feel like we had to use our own good judgment. And I'm very grateful mm -hmm. that, um, you know, so far it has uh, done us very good. Now, what's it like for you watching all these other power players um, coming to Miami? Mm, I think it's I think Miami, you know, I. So when I made a decision to come to Miami, I obviously saw the void, right? I saw the room, you know, I saw mm -hmm. uh, that there's a great opportunity. And, you know, COVID obviously accelerated all of that. And now a bunch of um, power players are coming to, to Miami. And I think it's, um, it's great, right? More juice the merrier. Um, I, I feel like Miami's, Miami internal restaurants are all going to kind of boom as well. And I think there's going to be... A, They'll step it up. Yeah, too. I think it's going yeah. to be a huge uh, surge, and obviously, just like all good things, there's going to be some leveling that's going to take place, right? It's not, you know, it's not like Miami all of a sudden can support, you know, twenty percent more restaurants, you know, overnight, right? I think there's going to be a little bit mm -hmm. of readjustment, and hopefully, um, you know, uh, the restaurants that really work hard and has uh, things together can survive and prevail, and ultimately make. You know, Miami, a, a much better uh, culinary destination. And I, I'm very much looking forward to that. I wouldn't be surprised in next, you know, three, four years if a Michelin, the Red Guide, Michelin Guide actually uh, come to Miami. All right, and last question. What has surprised you most about Miami clientele? How do they differ from the New Yorkers that you're now so accustomed to? Miami customers like to have fun, you know, like... They're, New York yeah. City, you know, you and I both know it very well, right? I'm a New Yorker, diehard New Yorker, and I will never leave New York. Um, but New York is a tough place to live, right, Daniel? We got to, hmm. you know, we get up from work, and then we get on the subway, we go to the restaurant that we want to go to, and then, like, we wait, and then we finish, we got to get home, we had one too many drinks, next morning, it's just a very, like, 
on the go, 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 right? Um, right, it's always on a calendar. Yes, and, and even when you're enjoying yourself, you're like, you need to intensely enjoy this, right? Uh, whereas mm-hmm. Miami, I think it's, things are just a little more laid back. You know, people get off work, they go home, they chill, they take shower, they go to their, you know, a walk-in uh, a wardrobe closet, and then they put on their fancy clothes, <laughs> and then they drive their fancy cars, and they come to the restaurant, and they, like, they have a good time. You know, I feel like there's, that's... Oh, my God. So, wait, do you, are the, is, is turnover longer? Do people, are people spending longer at their tables in Miami than they do in there's New York? There's definitely people spending a little longer, but we try, you know, we obviously really kind of try hard our best to be efficient, you know, and I think they yeah. go with the program, and I'm very grateful. But definitely, people, you know, a dinner here in Miami is the event, you know. Whereas my in New York, yeah. like you have to have dinner and then like go to another bar and then go to another like uh, maybe Broadway shows, concert, concert yeah, exactly. whatnot. But yeah, I feel yeah. like, of course, Miami ha- have all, all, a lot of that, you know, a lot of those amenities. But you know, but I do think that uh, restaurants are basically the. The, the event of the evening. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's been really fascinating. Guests, you know, I love to see, you know, our customers get really dressed up to come to restaurant. You know, they're flashy, right? It's flashy, there. it's sceny, and it's fun. And, you know, people just want to have a great time. And honestly, I, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> well, Simon, uh, you know, we're pulling for you here, we're pulling for you there. Um, and uh, if you're in Miami, check out Coat. If you're in New York, Check out Coat, um, and uh, until that, uh, until next time. Thank you so much for for joining us on the show. Thank you. All right, Amanda, we're back. That was, uh, you know, we're back from the Miami segments on this program to talk about some of the news of the day. But first, I have a I have a theory to run by you. You ready? Sure. Okay. Anecdotal, of course, because that's the majority of my work. But um, I. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of people say that they intend to eat more duck this summer. What? Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's not what I was expecting. I okay. It's going to be a big summer for duck. Big summer for duck. All right. You heard it here first. I have no comment. I have no opinion on this. Very agnostic on this question. But sure, why not? I love duck. <laughs> I love duck. Yeah. Roast duck summer. You know, why? you heard it here first. <laughs> you know, someone just, two people just said it to me within the last week. I think it was because that restaurant here that opened Mailu, the kind of Chinese fast casual mm, amazing place yeah, in Midtown. Good duck. And someone just someone just said to me, I'm trying to eat more duck this summer. And mm. I thought that that was just such a strange thing to say. And then someone else I was talking to was like, you know, I really like duck. I'm I, I'm going to get it more. I'm going to try to eat more duck. It's my that's my prediction. All right. Duck's well, going to have a big summer. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing that to the show. Let's get into let's get into some stories. <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, Daniel, want to hear another stray thought, or do you want to get into the news? <laughs> I kind of want to get into the news. <laughs> let's do some news. Daniel, I think the first thing we have to talk about is the shrimp in the cinnamon toast crunch. Well, it feels like it. It it isn't the first thing we talk. We have to talk about because we t- really never have to talk about it, but. It does I, feel I think like we the first have thing. to talk about it. I think it has to be discussed. Can you break it down? I've kind of been, uh, I haven't been following this as closely as, you know, I should. Sure, sure. So there was a viral tweet last week. A guy posted a picture of his cinnamon toast crunch poured out onto the table. And it was a picture of the cereal and then some shrimp tails covered in cinnamon and sugar. Or what looked to be right. shrimp tails. Right. Right. Uh, the guy's name is Jensen Carp. Allegedly, he contacted General Mills and then um, I think pretty much immediately tweeted out the picture, and it went viral. And he also like turned it into a whole thing. Like he tweeted about it like a lot, a lot, <laughs> and like con- he contacted an expert to have the shrimp examined because General Mills was saying that it wasn't actually shrimp. It was just clusters of cinnamon and sugar that might look like this. And they, the thing wasn't tampered with. Uh, it's one of those stories that I think just comes up every once in a while and everybody delights in it. It got covered everywhere. It was mm-hmm. all over Twitter. And of course it being 2021, there is a twist. Just as a recipe for a story, it's perfect because shrimp, shrimp tails are just like, there's so many things that could go in a box that wouldn't be the right level of kind of gross and funny. 
Yes. But shrimp shrimp tails kind of walk that line. Yeah, you know? it's not like it's it's better than even something more grotesque. You know, like if it was like yeah. a finger or a fingernail. Like uh, <laughs> I don't know. But the that is shrimp tail. It's like that's funny. Right. It's cute as a story. Anyway, so what what is the choice? I really don't know this. I I I, I knew the story up to this point. Well. So often when someone's tweet goes viral and they become internet famous for a moment, uh, things take a weird turn for them. So well, their past gets investigated. Yeah. Yeah. It might be that people are going through their Twitter to make sure they're, you know, not racist or to find something to call them out for. In this case is actually people from his life that he's known and worked with. He happens to be this Hollywood guy, he's married to, if you ever saw the show Boy Meets World, I don't know if you did because yeah. you're Canadian, um, <laughs> Topanga, he's married to Topanga, and I guess he's right. a screenwriter. Uh, various women came out to say that he's kind of skeezy. Uh, one woman <laughs> said that she he blocked her on Twitter like seven years ago because she didn't want to participate in a surprise threesome. <laughs> And he told her to be yeah. careful or she would never work in this town again. Right. Uh, someone else who he knows tweeted, this is the most abusive person I've ever been with. And I'm crying as I type this. Ooh. Someone else uh, said that he's a marketing guy and a liar. And just all these people from his life were like, we're using this moment to come out against him. So... It was uh, what they call on the internet milkshake duck scenario. Right. When you're beloved for a second and then they dig through and you're hated. But almost darker. Do we have any resolution on the shrimp tails themselves? I don't think so. I wonder if General That's Mills. That's like 10, 10 stories ago. Yeah, General Mills probably went in this turn. They were like, oh, thank God. Well, I would say General Mills was was busy digging, contacting every woman oh, this guy yes. had ever been with. They, they got their dark ops team on this. <laughs> and they're like, we have to make this go away. Somebody get some dirt. On this guy. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> the headline in the New York Post. <laughs> Internet turns on Jensen Carp, manipulative shrimp tail cereal man. <laughs> manipulative shrimp tail cereal man. <laughs> this is such a perfect story. Oh, my God. I mean, obviously, I, if, you know, I've, all the trauma he has caused or whatever is tragic. Um God, it's such a good way to yeah, go down. Yeah, it, it really is. It's like, okay, you were, you could have dealt with this <laughs> yourself. shrimp tail thing yourself. Um, good or bad for Cinnamon Toast Crunch? I mean... In the end. Not... I think kind of good. I yeah, think net good. Yeah. Bare, barely. barely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I think they still have enough goodwill. It's, it's such a beloved brand. People are like, eh. Okay, I'm ready to be distracted by the dark turn in this saga and not focus so much on whatever's in the serial. Like, I actually don't care how the test results turn out. I'm ready to move on. Okay, so I think we should touch briefly next on some COVID-related things. Um, that's the pandemic. A couple of things in New York and one in Chicago, which I bet you'll be actually be able to. Were you just defining that's the pandemic COVID? <laughs> yes, it was okay, a joke. Sorry, I wasn't <laughs> listening. <laughs> uh, so I think we've kind of been circling the drain on this idea for a while, thinking about how restaurants, bars, event spaces, venues, whatever, um, are going to ask for proof of vaccination. Mm. Um I don't know if you, I'm sure you saw this, but the New York, New York state announced an app called Excelsior mm -hmm. uh, that essentially like authentica authenticates and, and verifies your, um, your vaccine to be able to show as a, as a green, as a pass when you walk into a place. Uh -huh. um, I just think it's interesting. The skepticism obviously is that uh, then, you know, the state has a lot of your medical history, blah, 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 blah. Look, they do already when it comes to that's Who do you think? Well, you know, it, I just you got the vaccine from who's but, like, uh, how would that? And then there's also the classist. Work? Yeah. Like, what about? Like, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, if it's for baseball games and like, think about how are you going to get all those people to download this app and have the right phone for the. Yeah. Yeah. The I mean, app. I think I think if you can if you can print a ticket for a baseball game, they probably I'm sure you'll be able to print some kind of scannable verification. Mm. Um, 
I think more than criticizing the app or whatever for the dumb name, super dumb What's the name, name? Um, Excelsior. Oh yeah, that's dumb. Uh, I, I just think you know it's it is clear now that we are going to live in a society that, through one way or another will require you to prove you've been vaccinated to get into certain things. Hmm. For how long, though? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question, right? A year? Two years? I don't know. Or maybe less, though. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea how long. That's actually, I didn't even think like, about that. Let's, but no matter what, I expect to do that this summer. I, you I expect, mean, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, you think, like, getting on a plane or going to a baseball game or, like, going to a show... You'll be needing to show. Not going to restaurants. Well, um, did you hear the news out of out of Chicago that uh, vaccinated people don't count against your COVID restrictions? I did. I did see that news. I just don't know how functionally that will actually work. I talked to uh, somebody in the nightlife business who was saying that um, it's contested amongst uh, club owners, bar owners, et cetera. But but he's open to the idea of requiring proof of vaccination in order to get into a nightclub. So uh-huh. yeah, I, yeah. I, I do th- I do yeah, think it'll a, happen in, re- a, in restaurants. No, you're right. There's a use for it. I, Boris Johnson announced that he was um, considering allowing pubs that wanted to to do that as well. Vax havens, right? Like vaccination heaven haven. Show yeah. show your uh, gotcha. yeah show your proof. You have to show your proof if you're gonna go inside. Yeah. And there's there's also I mean, you know, there's at this point separate sections in sports stadiums for vaccinated people and unvaccinated people. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah, there that's, are, that's, there what, that's that's a true. That's a real thing. And in churches, I've seen it. and I've seen photos of it. I'm just thinking about restaurants like how it's just another thing to have to deal with and worry about. It's like, OK, you have the thing. So you go over here and then everybody else you're in the like, especially because like there's such a gray air. There's such a the, there's such a blurred line between restaurants and bars in this in this city. Right. You know, there's restaurants till seven that turn into, you know, mm-hmm. that get dancier as the night goes on. Um, can't wait for those. Those are the best times. You know, I'm not I hate. People, I, when people are like, I want to go dancing tonight. I'm like, that's lame. But if if there's like a place that you know that's great, you know, a good restaurant that turns dancey and you don't have to like admit out loud that you want a dancey experience, that is the key <laughs> that's, to nightlife. That's a, yeah, that's a classic Daniel Janine spot. <laughs> like move the the high boys to the side to create a dance floor. Oh, what are they doing? <laughs> oh, they're just moving. <laughs> cool. That's fun. Right. Hey, guys, you want to stand up for a sec? Yeah. We can come back to the... T- yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, so that's that. Excelsior, you know, uh, I'm excited for that. But again, obviously, similar to the cash and like Apple Pay credit card argument, it's, you know, we're going to live in a, you know, we're certainly moving towards a society that uh, is more difficult to function in without a cell phone. It, that's you know that's not that's yeah not. yeah and a general uh, acuity with platforms and things like that i'm just wondering i haven't thought about it enough like how you go like what if you're going from state to state because this is a new york state app right mm-hmm. does yeah do you have to download a different app for every should there be a federal thing is this just are is everyone gonna get vaccinated in the next few months and maybe we don't have to worry about it and all the cases will go down and or will we be living with this for five years and therefore you have to there has to be a federal app. Uh, it seems like all the states function kind of independently anyway. Um, you know, I think uh, it'll be case by case. I bet, you know, I bet you'll be able to show a positive vaccination thing from New York State and it'll work in Florida or whatever's going on here. Florida's not going to you know, check. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Florida's not going <laughs> to check. That's a good point. They'll never check. <laughs> they don't care. Right. What, what else we got? It's kind of interesting. Vaccination wise, Krispy Kreme offered a free donut every day of 2021 to people who can prove that they have been vaccinated using probably one of the apps or whatever. Mm. You know? Yeah. Or maybe that cute little cute little Instagram of their thumb covering their date of birth or whatever, you know? Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. What are, what are they accepting? What What form of proof starting monday all customers with a valid vac covid19 vaccination card will receive a free original glazed donut at participating blah 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 guess who have <laughs> oh you have to receive at least one of the two moderna or pfizer shots and obviously the johnson johnson so i guess the move is if you're vaccine skeptical and you still want donuts just get one of the two 
Pfizer get, go, or Moderna go shots. Have, go have yeah. these. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to still be a rebel and get your donut. Um, you know, some mild. Or just like borrow a friend's card, you know. Right, and their credit card, yeah. There's some mild controversy online because Dr. Lena Wen, who is... What is her uh, CNN medical analyst? You know, a famous doctor. Well, she was running Planned Parenthood for a while. Oh, yeah. Okay. She said, basically, hey, Krispy Kreme, love that you want to thank people, help people, incentivize them for getting the vaccine, but donuts are not a good treat for everyday health um, if eaten every day. So here's my suggestion of what to do. She's basically saying, give a box, give them out to friends, blah, blah, blah. Some people felt like this was uh, it was uh, not a positive thing for uh, to, you know, it was shaming once again for disorder. Things, things take a turn for disordered eating. Yeah. Yeah. I think people were calling her out for um, fat shaming, right? Essentially. Yeah. I'm just going to say, I think it's a little silly of her to go attack Krispy Kreme for this. I might be a healthy individual and I work out every day and I eat a donut every day. Those donuts are tiny. They're tiny. They're just little bitty guys. It's fine. Right, right. I, I think, eat something I think, unhealthy yeah. every day. I, I think we I, have a broken relationship with sugar in this country and um, I, my problems are greater than this idea of, of Krispy Kreme. Yeah, you and Lena Wen can go ahead and I agree Krispy with Kreme. you. I'm not shaming Krispy Kreme. Look, I love pastries and sweets as much as any. I really do. I eat sweets every night but um you know i don't like that yeah and what if you got what if you got that for free because you're vaxxed you know what you're right <laughs> my question is do you think anyone who's like on the fence saw that promotion and was why like, don't we just like you know whenever what? people get to get vaccinated I'm gonna do it yeah do you I'm think they were it. maybe 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 people love krispy kreme you know what in a way it's actually kind of a good uh i don't mean like political like a left right spectrum thing but it's a good political statement from Krispy Kreme right like I think a yeah. cool brand that people support like that getting being like hey it's a good thing to get vaccinated you know uh, good for Krispy Kreme I, I think I appreciate yes, that's it the from, whole point no I know I know I you're right I've come around I've okay. come around okay you know there's still a, a hole in me but I've come around like a donut <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the campaign is kind of silly because they're not really going to convince anybody to. No. Who do? How do we know? We don't have that on this. Their mind. They might However, have pushed so many good, people. It's yeah, it's good to show that you know this is something they believe in. Okay, we got two more to wrap up. Um, I don't know if this is really a story or just kind of a, a trend, but uh, both Burger King and Taco Bell are announced that they are reprioritizing drive through in their newer builds and and rebuilding uh, older place older restaurants to reprioritize drive through sorry not just drive through but mobile app pickup so they're creating lanes for like lanes numbered one two three four five you make an order on your app and you drive into the lane that it tells you to drive into and then they bring out your food um and some restaurants are building, in some cases, like three-lane uh, drive-through, where which looks like um, like a drive-through bank, you know, where there's like multiple places to order. Uh, just you know, kind of sucks. I'm I'm I love drive-through as like a road trip thing, but yeah, you know, it's de-restaurantizing the world a little bit, right? Like we're moving away from shared spaces and into more personal spaces, which is. I think, and more car traffic, whatever, a little bit uh, not wonderful, but that's the way the world is going. And we're optimizing things for both delivery drivers and also for a more pandemic style safe experience. And, uh, you know, just something to watch, I guess, from Dan's corner of gloom over here. <laughs> Why aren't you saying anything? Just like, I just want to see where it would go. <laughs> <laughs> and? <laughs> I just think you're reading a lot into this idea that they're renovating the drive-thru. It's just also a, st <laughs> a story I'm... that has been... 
we've been reporting this, not reporting it. We've for been reading years. this story. No, I know all, for one year for this year. Like Shake Shack did right. this like six months ago, where it's like we're doing two lanes now, and one is for pickup, and one is for yeah. I just don't think it's like this monumental shift towards personalized spaces and again shared spaces, especially when we're talking about the fast food segment and the fast casual. Segment. I try to be academic for one second, and <laughs> you just let me can boil from the other side there. <laughs> That's the first time and last time I've ever said space, like third place, second place, whatever. I hate all that shit. And now you just let me suffer in it. I'm glad you're laughing. That's fun. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're very intelligent. You can riff on something however you want. Okay. Well, I it's getting hot pers- in here. Personally, I just, I don't, I don't well, see I'm it leaving as much it in with, now. Bur- with Burger King. I'm, I'm not like, you know, it's not a big tragedy to me. You know what? I, you're right. Okay. It's not a huge, it's not a tragedy on any kind of grand scale of tragedy, but you you were into, when we first talked about it, you were, you were into it because you're, you know, anti-car, whatever. Let's move on. Some, some woman stole $12,000 from her Girl Scout troop, uh, slowly <laughs> over a few years. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, years long con. A years long con, and yeah, she was collecting money for from both cookie sales and for trips. And then supposedly there were no like the parents were like, "We've been giving money for these trips. What? What are the? What? When are the trips happening?" And then she left uh, her post, and there was no money. And uh, the grand, uh, the attorney, Ohio's attorney general, Dave Yost, um, announced a grand jury indictment of her. Um and got dramatic on the stand saying how many boxes of thin mints will her troop need to sell to make up for her betrayal oof which i, I think bet he I, liked, I bet he liked that <laughs> do you think they get a kick out of it like people who deal yes. with like super serious things all day and then they're like finally finally some woman's jacking the girl like scout. a grifter Great. Yeah. Um, I will say if this was me and I was accused of stealing all this money, I think the second he he gets high and mighty and calls it a betrayal, I kind of feel a little better about it. You know, like I'm not as I'm not I don't feel as guilty once this guy's like, it's a grand betrayal. You right. know, it's like I just stole money from little girls. <laughs> well, it's, it's well, when you say it like it's that, it's not, it doesn't sound great either. Yeah. You know what's to note about this is we don't talk about Girl Scout cookies that much, and I'm totally okay with that because I think everyone else on the planet, everyone else on the planet does it enough. You know, it's not what I would say about it. I wonder what Lena Wen would say about Girl Scout cookies. (laughs) You know, Dr. Lena Wen, if you're hearing this, I'm sure I would like to know what you say about Girl Scout cookies. All right, everyone, that is our show for today. Thank you so much to Simon Kim. Thank you to Ollie Fowler. Thank you, Daniel. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, And we'll be back here in two weeks. Hey, later. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.